Good morning, church. Um, today's scripture comes from John 10, 7 through 15. So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I come that they may have life and it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. This is the word of the Lord. Well, today we're in our last week of this series, Jesus Saves. And we're going to look at how Jesus saves us like a shepherd saves the sheep. The passage today is from John 10. And in it, Jesus describes himself as the good shepherd who even gives up his own life for the sheep. This metaphor of God as our shepherd runs deep throughout the scriptures. It's how God describes himself towards Israel. One of the most beloved passages in the whole Bible is about this theme. It's in Psalm 23, where David is reminded that God is like his shepherd, who leads him beside still waters, who brings him to green pastures, who restores his soul. I found over the years that as we planned funeral services and memorial services for people, uh, there's something about our heart that pulls us back towards Psalm 23. With family over family, family after family as they plan services, this is the passage people come back to. And I think what it speaks to is this longing that we have to know that someone, that God, cares about us enough to direct our paths and to provide for us. And in our passage today, we see that Jesus claims that title for himself, that divine title of the shepherd of the sheep, your shepherd and my shepherd. Jesus claims no less than the title of God himself, the one who is able to provide everything that you and I need and direct the steps of our life. Now, there's an objection that often comes with this of, yeah, that sounds nice, Bob, but isn't that kind of wish fulfillment or special pleading? I mean, the idea that I, I can resonate or I can, I can admit that there's a longing that someone like God would care about me enough to look out for me, but is that how life really is? Isn't the idea that, that Jesus is the shepherd kind of just a, a story that we tell kids so that they're not scared of all the harmful and terrible things in the world? And I get that sort of cynicism. I can understand where that comes from, especially in a time of crisis that we're going through now with the coronavirus and also through the continued, uh, all the continued discussions about race and police brutality that we're experiencing especially this week. The idea that, that Jesus is the gentle shepherd who directs our paths can feel almost like a childish view of the world. But what I would ask you to do in the next few minutes as we look at this passage is even if you feel like that's too good to be true or too young to too naive for your experience of the world, is to consider, is there a longing there that might point to some reality? 
you know, sometimes the cynic will say, the fact that I want that must be a sign that I invented it. But C.S. Lewis and, and other theologians for years have said, maybe the fact that you long for it is a sign that you are made for it. The fact that your soul longs for a shepherd, maybe that tells you something about what it means to be human. In the same way as when you're thirsty, it means that there must be something that would quench your thirst. It means that there must be something like water out there if you could be this thirsty. If you're longing for a shepherd of your soul, maybe, maybe, let's consider this as we go through the sermon, maybe you are made as a sheep to be shepherded. In our passages, in our passage today, I want to look at three of the ways that Jesus describes himself as a shepherd. How he's uniquely the shepherd that we need. How his shepherding is different than the world's because he gives himself sacrificially for us. And then thirdly, how Jesus describes himself as the shepherd whose flock is broader than we expect and more broad than we're accustomed to. So let's get into the passage today. John chapter 10, verse 7. Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I am the door of the sheep. Jesus describes himself as the unique way to God throughout the book of John. And in this passage, part of what makes John 10 a little confusing is that he uses two metaphors. Jesus describes himself as the door or the gate of the sheep, depending on your translation, and also as the shepherd of the sheep. And uh, we can tie ourselves in knots trying to figure out how those two things fit together. I think the best explanation is that Jesus is using two metaphors tightly connected on the same topic. He's the door of the sheep. He's the only way the sheep get in and out to God. And he's also at the same time the shepherd who brings us through the gate to God. And Jesus has no problem throughout both the book of John and the New Testament generally saying he is the only one that we can follow and have access to his father. I mean, think about John chapter 6, where John, where John records Jesus teaching on some really difficult topics and difficult themes, and a number of would-be disciples of his leave and fall away. And Jesus turns to his disciples and says, do you want to leave as well? And Peter responds, where else would we go? For you alone have the words of eternal life. Or think about John 14, 6, where Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. Now, in our American sensibilities, this concept of uniqueness can seem very close-minded, very myopic, and very provincial. How, how could Jesus possibly claim such a unique role in the religious attitudes of the whole world? How could he say that he is the only way to the Father? Well, there's a lot of answers to that. But the one that Jesus offers in this passage is that he is the one to whom the sheep belong. In this passage in John 14, Jesus' answer to the question of uniqueness is that you belong to him even before you're aware of it. He says that he calls you and you know his voice. Such a fascinating argument for the uniqueness of Jesus' salvation is that he calls you and there is something in you that is articulated to the surface that maybe has never been brought to the surface before. He says in verse 3 that others try to call, but the sheep ignore them. 
But when Jesus calls, they hear his voice and respond. That, that your life and my life in God is tied up with the fact that we follow the shepherd's voice. That he has called us to himself. And that the result of that is that he leads us to places of life and of goodness and of kindness. Jesus compares us to sheep, which is sometimes a difficult thing for us to stomach. Now, while it's a a popular Old Testament metaphor for the people of God, the people of Israel, it's nonetheless still a rather um, less than flattering picture of what it means for our sensibilities, our self-control, and our thoughtfulness. After all, sheep were known at that point as they are now for not being the brightest animals. You know, a normal animal, if you were to release it from its containment, either it would run wild and leave, or if it's a dog or or some other domesticated animal, it might use its own sense of well-being to come back to you. Think about two movies from my childhood, right? Homeward Bound, where the dog uh, runs all the way across the state of California to get back to its owners because it so wants to be with the people that care for it, or Free Willy, where the orca is released and to live out in the wild. Can you imagine a 1980s movie about releasing a sheep into the wild? It would just be like The Wanderer, where the sheep just goes off on its own, wherever its stomach and its mouth takes it, not even looking out for its own well-being. And in Scripture, that's how we as people are described. Yes, we can be productive. Yes, we can be helpful as a sheep can give its wool, but only under the care and under the auspices of the shepherd's provision. And Jesus says, you are like a sheep. Verse 9, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. Do you hear how Jesus doubles down on the unique role that he plays in our life? He says, I am the door. I am the way that you can have a good life. And the reason that you can have confidence in that is because look at what has happened when we've chased after other shepherds. He says, look at the way that other shepherds have treated you. They've treated you as commodities to be used up for their benefit. They've come to kill and destroy. And Jesus contrasts that with what he offers, which is life abundantly. This is what he says in verse 10. I came that they might have life and have it abundantly. Jesus probably has in mind here as he makes this contrast between some of the false shepherds in Israel's life and him, maybe some of the religious leaders of his day. He might have in mind some of the messianic pretenders that have come before him who have pretended to be the Messiah. He might have in mind some of the Sadducees or Pharisees in his own day. And in each of those cases, what Jesus says is, you can tell the difference because of what happens as a result of you following them. Do you get used up? Do you get shriveled up? Do you get what is good taken from you or given to you? Jesus says, I am the good shepherd, and you can see it in what happens as a result of following me. Wow, that is such a claim, right? Because it causes us to examine what it means that we follow Jesus ourselves. And we can ask the question, am I becoming healthier? And I mean that in a a variety of ways. Uh, spiritually, emotionally, religiously, socially, as a result of following Jesus? Or is my 
uh, pseudo-Christianity resulting in feeling shriveled up. Now, I, I don't want to lean too hard in this because I, I don't want you to use your feelings as the ultimate arbiter about what is true. But Jesus says that he has come that we might have life abundantly. And where there is a lack of abundant life, it reflects that we have chased after voices that are not his own. After all, Jesus says repeatedly in the Gospel of John that he has come to bring life. I, I have a, if you do a search on the concept of life, or the word, a word study on life in the Gospel of John, you'll see that it is one of the most frequently used themes and topics in John's Gospel. And I chose just a couple of the highlight verses just for us to reflect on what it means that Jesus brings life. And the reason I did this is because this verse, John 10.10, 10, can sometimes become like a Rorschach for us. Um, and it can kind of be a proof text for people wanting it to mean whatever they want it to mean. So I want us to think biblically about what Jesus means when he says he's come to bring life for you. This is John 1.4. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. John 6, 35, I am the bread of life. John 6, 63, an appropriate verse here on Pentecost. It is the Spirit who gives life. John eleven twenty five, I am the resurrection and the life. John 17, 3, and this is eternal life, that you know the, one, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. John twenty thirty one, But these are written so that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and here's the important part, and that by believing you may have life in his name. What I hope you saw in all those verses that Jesus is full of life, that he is the bringer of life himself, and it comes out of a place of himself being full of life and vitality for us. That Jesus is the most alive person who has ever lived and who himself continues to live at the right hand of God. And also, I want you to see in this passage that Jesus' offer of eternal life begins now that he has come to bring life, not just heaven in the future, though it certainly is an emphasis on our eternal life, but he's come that we might have resurrection and life even before we die. This is a, a special thing to think about on Pentecost, because on Pentecost we celebrate that we are already indwelt with the Spirit of God, and we look forward to the day when we can see God face to face. Now, of course, this good life that Jesus offers does not come just from his example, him showing us how to live. This is not just a, um, him modeling for us how we can have a life like his, as if he is some sort of Instagram model that we can aspire to become like. No, Jesus says that he imparts life, that he leads us as our shepherd to a place of vitality himself. It is a gift that Jesus gives as he lays down his life for ours. This gets us to sort of the second part of the passage where Jesus says that we can know that he is the good shepherd and that we can see his shepherding in action and the way that he sacrifices for our benefit. And again, Jesus in this second part is going to contrast himself with the leadership that Israel so often has experienced and that maybe you've experienced as well. 
shepherds who don't lay down their lives for the sheep, but instead demand, uh, hard, demand hard things from those who follow them, and when things get difficult, uh, run away themselves. This is how Jesus describes it in verse 11. I am the good shepherd, and the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. This, of course, is a, a prediction of Jesus' eventual going to the cross for you and I. And Jesus says that his shepherding is exemplified in the way that he bears the price of your sins and my sins in laying down his life for us. Jesus compares himself to a shepherd because that has how God has always treated his people. And he says that, that that shepherding has now reached its fulfillment as he goes even to the point of giving up his life for those that he cares for. And Jesus contrasts himself here in verse uh, 12 with those who refuse such a cost. He says in verse 12, He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. And he explains why in verse 13. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. Jesus sees himself as the good shepherd because he is willing to give up the ultimate price, even his own life, for the well-being that he leads. Think about that. Jesus loves you so much and cares for you so much that he is willing to give up his own life for your security eternally with the Father. And Jesus says that's not normal. That's not how leaders normally behave. In fact, normal leaders are like the hired hand, the one who are in it for themselves. When they get paid to do nothing, they'll take the money. But when a real cost comes, they run away out of self-preservation. And Jesus says, that's not how I am. I mean, think about the leaders that we experience in our lives and in this world today. And think about how disinterested they would be in bearing that sort of cost themselves. And compare that to Jesus. Jesus, the one who um, has taken on even the cost of his life for your security with God. By the way, if you are a leader, and I think that probably everyone listening to this has some leadership role and is made for some leadership role, whether it's in the life of a lot of people or one person, whether, however God has create a capacity for you to function as a compassionate Christian leader. This is the paradigm that we're to follow. We're to be leaders like Jesus, who are servant leaders, who give up their preferences and their well-being for the sake of the people they lead. Jesus models that in John 13 when he is the will, he's willing to wash the feet of his disciple and say that this is a model of what salvation is like. And it's a model for how we're to function as servant leaders. For the benefit of others. Now, what Jesus is saying by describing himself even as the shepherd of Israel, even as God's own son, is not lost on the people around him. Later on in the passage in verses 19 to 21, uh, the people that have been listening to this are astounded that Jesus would claim to be such a figure in the life of the people of God. Verse 19 there was again a division among the Jews because of these words. Many of them said, he has a demon and is insane. Why listen to him? Others said, these are not the words of one who is oppressed by a demon. 
Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? Do you hear what the conflict is here in this passage? They're saying, how could someone claim such an authoritative role in our life? This is insane. How could one person claim to be the shepherd who leads us to such abundant life? And you and I are all going to have to make that decision. Is Jesus a lunatic? Or is he a liar who just pretended what's not true? Or is he really who he claimed to be, the Lord of our life? And if he is truly the Lord, then we have no authority over what he claims. After all, if Jesus is really what he claims on our life, we don't get it in piecemeal say, well, that's nice, but I've got some other ideas. Or, that's an interesting idea, Jesus, and I'm going to consider that together with all the other other input I'm considering. No, no, if Jesus is truly the shepherd, then we are the sheep who are to obey his commands. And if Jesus is the Lord, it means that we shouldn't be surprised that his sheepfold is bigger than we're expecting or than we're comfortable with. That's how Jesus describes it here in this third part of the passage in verse 14. He says, I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me just as the Father knows me and I know the Father and I lay down my life for the sheep. And in verse 16 he says, and I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also and they will listen to my voice so there will be one flock and one shepherd. Do you hear what Jesus is saying here? Jesus saves us uniquely, he saves us sacrificially, but he also saves broadly. He says that his sheep hear his voice and respond to him. And that includes sheep that we're not used to being around. And that to be part of the flock of God is a united participation with people from every tongue and tribe and nation. This, is repeated, this theme is repeated throughout the New Testament in books like Ephesians and in 1 Corinthians that to be part of the Christian movement means to no longer be considered by our previous ethnic identities or to be considered primarily by our previous stations or social classes, but that we are united as one flock under Christ. Now, of course, we still are those things. I'm still a man once I become a Christian. I'm still white once I become a Christian. I'm still an American once I become a Christian. But I see all those identities under the authority of Christ. And I also, maybe even more importantly, see the identities of people not like me as a reflection not of what I should be scared of or opposed to, but as someone who has been called by God, is made in God's image, and now reclaimed by Christ and is of the same flock that I am. I was struck so deeply by this verse this week in light of what has happened in Minneapolis and in Louisville and elsewhere and has continued to happen over the years and centuries of our country. We are a nation that is sick with problems of race. And as long as we refuse to acknowledge that and refuse to look at it, we refuse the goodness that Jesus offers of being one flock united under one shepherd. I'm grateful for uh, the opportunity in this church to model and to be a part of a people of God united by what Christ has done. One flock that can speak to our community and to the world of what it means that the shepherd has called us together. And if my racism or the racism of others in our church is going to get in the way of that, we need to cry out to the Spirit of God to cleanse us of that. Jesus offers something profound for your life and for my life. 
He offers us the opportunity to be the people of God, united by a shepherd who loves us and cares for us. If you have never taken that step to go through the gate, to become a a sheep who follows the voice of the shepherd, I hope that this series, and even today in particular, is a time where you make that choice. Where you say, Jesus, I hear your voice and I long to follow you. And if you are someone who maybe had made that choice a long time ago, but you need to rededicate your life to Christ, you feel like a, a sheep who has gone his own way or her own way, and you are stuck in a place that you can't get out of. Maybe your cry today is to cry out to Jesus, Jesus, would you find me and come and get me? After all, Jesus describes in another place in the scriptures as the shepherd who leaves the 99 behind to go find the one who is lost. He cares for you. He longs to find you and bring you back to the fold. Would you hear his voice this morning and follow him? Jesus saves in a way that no one else can. He is a shepherd who gives up his life for your benefit. And he is the one who brings you in to a people of God and a flock where you can find unity and find wholeness and find home. I hope that you'll take advantage of that this morning. Would you pray with me? God, I am so grateful that you call us by name, that you call us to yourself, and that you call us even at the cost of your own life. God, you care for each person who is listening to this. You desire for them to repent and to follow you. And God, for those of us who repented and followed you a long time ago, would you give us the grace to continue to walk as part of your flock? God, I know it's not a flattering picture to be called a sheep, but it is a sweet thing to get to call you our shepherd. And we don't take that lightly. And so we want to say thank you this morning. It's in the name of Jesus, our shepherd, we pray. Amen.